Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and I'm so excited that you've joined me for this show. Today's title is Ideas for Teaching Early Pronouns to Toddlers with Language Delays, and this is show number 269. Now, this is a continuation from show 268, so I'm going to be giving a tiny summary of the background information, but for optimal um benefit. <laughs> if you haven't listened to show number 268, go back and do that. And even if you think, oh, I already know all that stuff, I don't really even want to understand the theory of pronouns and when they develop normally, and I don't really care about that background, let me tell you, you should. <laughs> because until you understand why pronouns are a problem and for and which children struggle the most, and then kind of have an overview of that, the things that you do may not be as effective. So, and, and here's another thing. You may not be quite as empathetic or sympathetic to your little friends or your own child who may be struggling to learn pronouns. So I've heard from a mom who said the show really, really helped her understand why her daughter's making these errors and it's made her more tolerant, I think is the word she used, so that she didn't get so up. I think her feeling was, I've corrected her and corrected her and corrected her, and she's still having trouble. Why can't she learn this? So the background information may give you some insight that you've not thought about before if you're a therapist, a speech-language pathologist, or another kind of early interventionist. Uh, or if you're a parent, you definitely need that background. Now, sometimes parents, again, will say to me, I don't care what's wrong, I just want it fixed. And I get that as a mom <laughs> and as a person. We just want solutions to our problems. But sometimes when we understand the why, everything else falls into place. So go back and listen to show 268 if you've not done that. Let me give you just a teeny tiny little recap. In that show, we did talk about when pronouns emerge in typical language development. So go back and listen to those milestones so you'll know exactly what pronouns we're going to talk about today. We spent lots of time talking about and really discussing in detail why pronouns are hard. And again, it's not just that the kid is slow to learn or a global thing like language is hard. <laughs> They're really specific things that could be going on with the child. Now, you won't necessarily tailor your activities to address the specific things. You could. The activities, though, today that we're going to talk about really will be pretty um, applicable to every kid who's struggling, every toddler who's struggling with pronouns. And again, there may be some that you would do, and we'll talk about that, depending on why a child is struggling. But haven't heard that discussion, go back and listen to that because I think, again, there's really, really insightful information. Now, we finished up the show. I want to kind of pick up here because I, I realized what time it was when I did the show last week and I thought, oh, there's no way I'm going to be able to do the rest of this topic justice. So I sort of hurriedly talked about general recommendations for teaching and I want to back up and really unpack a little bit more of those today so that you understand 
general strategies and why these would be effective. And again, these overall things that you do, these are things that you do all day long. In a minute, we're going to talk about really specific activities, things that you can do in therapy, and certainly if you're a therapist, things you should be teaching parents how to do. But let's just talk about overall recommendations first for things you should be doing with this child who's struggling with pronouns from the time you get up until the time you go to bed. So these are the kinds of things that you'll think about as you're playing together, as you're eating together, as you're giving him a bath, as you are playing outside. Any time the opportunity would present to work on language. And guys, let me just say, that's any time a kid is awake, <laughs> there's time to work on language because we can teach language we can teach words anytime, anywhere, and we want to be sure that we're doing that. So let's talk about these general recommendations for teaching pronouns. When we're using pronouns with children, <coughs> excuse me, remember that kids have to understand what the word means first before they're able to really use it. Now, you may have a child imitate or echo a word without really understanding it, and certainly our little friends with autism who are echolalic depend on being able to say the word and then they attach meaning. And let me just say that's completely opposite from how a typical language learner would learn language. Kids have to understand words and, and typically developing toddlers do generally understand much, 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 much more than they can say. And our really verbal little friends will find a way to repeat something well before they understand it. Certainly you've probably had that experience when maybe you've said something that was completely out of context and a child echoed your last word or two. I had one kid one time say, Mom and Dad were going to go to California, and he was saying, California, California. And, you know, we know a two-year-old doesn't know what California is, okay? So sometimes they will pick up on a word um, Another example that as a parent you might be able to relate to is maybe you've said a cuss word <laughs> and your child repeated it and you thought, oh, why would that be the word that he would hang on to and repeat from today? And certainly he just repeated it because it was an exclamatory word. You used it with lots of emotion and you probably yelled it or gritted your teeth as you said it or did something that made that word really stand out from the other language. So certainly kids can say things they don't understand. But for a kid to really be able to use a pronoun correctly, he has to understand it. So we're talking about strategies that you'll put in place and that you should expect, hmm, it's going to take me a while of really teaching this and building this foundation before I'm able to hear a child use this correctly. And this is really true even for our kids who are already using some pronouns but making errors. Say that there, I think I gave these examples on the last show, but a kid who might use his name instead of a pronoun, you know, Jack wants banana, Jack wants banana, Jack wants banana, instead of saying, I want a banana. Or a kid who might um, hear something that you say to him all the time and he doesn't realize that he should reverse that pronoun as he uses as he uses it. And the most common one that parents report all the time is a kid who will say, hold you, hold you, hold you, when he's really, really tired and he wants his mom or dad to pick him up. Because when he's been tired in the past, you've said, do you want me to hold you? And so he's just lifted that phrase. And it is entirely meaningful. It is exactly what he wants to happen 
and he's we need to give him an A for effort for trying. <laughs> But he doesn't really understand how pronouns work and that the pronoun is really dependent on who is talking. And so many of our little guys with language delays don't really understand that. Certainly our friends with with autism struggle with that because they have such a hard time with perspective taking. And again, I've discussed that so much in show 268, so go back and listen to that. So because of those issues, one thing that you really want to do when you're talking is use gestures as a visual cue to help a child know what you mean and know the person that you're talking about. So if you, and let's just talk about how this can vary. If you are talking and you are talking as you, say you're, you're, um, let's say you're a mom and you're telling your child, oh, I'm thirsty, I want to get a drink, I want some, you know, whatever you're going to drink, water. When you are modeling that for a child that you know is having difficulty learning language, and even if he's not making errors with pronouns yet, you can set the stage. But certainly if he is having some trouble learning pronouns, meaning that he's not using them at all or he's messing them up when he's using them, you should be doing lots of gestures to help a child understand what you're talking about. So you should be patting yourself on your chest. When I'm doing this, I'm really patting my chest saying, I'm thirsty. I want a drink. And again, I talk with my hands all day long. <laughs> so I may be even throwing some other signs in there, you know, drink or whatever I'm trying to sign or supplement with a sign. But for, for our purposes today, we're really talking about pronouns. So we would use those gestures on ourselves as we're talking, as we're modeling that language. Now, when you switch to modeling what you want a child to say, it's common for us to continue to use the same kinds of gestures, but really we should be providing hand-over-hand assistance and using gestures on the child as if he were saying it. So if you are teaching a child to request and you are saying something like, again, let's go back to that water, I want water. If you are doing hand-over-hand assistance, and you've used that in the past, you really want to, again, use that from for him and from his perspective. So you are helping him pat his own chest. Now, I know some of you, this may be a new idea, and so you're thinking, no, I'm just going to model it like I've been doing, and I want them to imitate that. Yeah, I get that. But here's the problem. When a kid is messing up his pronouns, when he's making those errors, he doesn't really get that you're talking about him on some level or he would naturally adapt those pronouns and would not be making the errors that he's making. So you know you need to go that extra mile and give him that visual cue that actually it's more like a tactile cue if he's patting his own chest, isn't it? for uh, that pronoun, that representative pronoun for I, or me, give it to me. When you're telling a kid to say that or helping a kid learn how to say that or ask for something like that, don't pat your own chest on that. Help him. Use hand-over-hand assistance to help him pat his chest. Now, don't worry about it if you've done it, not done it that way in the past. You know, there's no shame here. <laughs> don't feel like, oh, I really have screwed this up for the last six years. Who cares? Just move on on the next kid or the next session. You know, you may be going to see someone right now that you could use this strategy for. So 
be sure that when you're thinking about if you are modeling something that you want the kid to repeat, you need to also model gestures in that way and at least some of the time use the gesture on himself. So if you, let's say you're talking about him and let's say you're using something, oh gosh, like I love you. Oh, boy. I love it when a kid can just pop this out and says it because it's so meaningful for a mom. But if they are really struggling with pronouns, sometimes they they don't get it. They don't understand what you're saying. So if you're singing, you know, the Barney song, I Love You, or even if you're just practicing saying this, use your gestures there for I Love You. And, again, when you are switching it around, helping him say it, helping him learn how to do it, be sure that you're making the I refer to himself. So he's pointing to himself on I and then to the other person on you. Okay, we talked about this last week, but I want to be sure that I talk about it again. The next little general recommendation for teaching is when a child is showing difficulty, meaning that he's making errors with pronouns, and again, that could be an omission error, meaning that he's he, she or he are using their own name in the place of a pronoun. They haven't really gotten to the point that they can even mess up a pronoun yet. They're still kind of stuck in that, you know, call, I'm going to call myself by my own name. You want to, you know with those kids that they're having difficulty because, again, it didn't happen as it should have. They didn't just start, pronouns aren't emerging like you would hope. So with those kids, you do know that you need to break it down, as I always say, back up and teach one pronoun at a time. We're going to talk about specific ideas in a minute for uh, how you could teach one pronoun at a time, but my advice here is not to try to teach it together. A lot of times we'll think about like my and your or I and you as opposites. And you think, oh, I'm going to teach it together because that's how I teach hot and cold and that's how I teach up and down and, that, you know, that's just how I teach it. When a kid is struggling like this, they really need extra practice to master it in one context first before you muddy the water. And, again, you know if a kid is messing up his pronouns, making errors, making mistakes, that it's going to be really difficult to try to teach more than one at a time. So just tell yourself this is going to be a process. And I remember saying that in last week's show that sometimes it can take years for a child to really own pronouns. And we talked about all those reasons why. Don't get discouraged. Just know that, you know, I'm going to have to spend some time on this and I'm not going to be able to teach, you know, early pronouns all in one session. <laughs> it doesn't work that way for kids, most kids who are, having difficulty learning language. So be sure that you're looking at breaking it down. And we also talked about last week how using my turn and your turn as your very first pronoun target probably isn't the best idea for teaching toddlers because they really get possessive. And they should. That's where they are developmentally. So that's not a bad thing either. But you just want to save <laughs> that kind of teaching for later so that it become it so it doesn't become so volatile and emotionally charged, uh, and you don't want to do anything really to purposefully upset a kid because what happens during that time? Nothing. Nothing happens during that time <laughs> when we have our little friends when they're dysregulated and upset and overstimulated. They can't learn during that time. All they're really learning is I am mad and I want to get out of this situation and I want to feel better and I want you to stop what you're doing to make me quit making me so upset. So don't use those 
sharing or possessive or my turn, your turn at the beginning to teach it. Wait until you've established some other things first. Now, you can do some really playful, cute things with mine and my and keep it fun and silly. And We're going to talk about that too. Uh, and if you can pull that off without upsetting the toddler or preschooler you're working with, then go for it. And that involves lots of fun and keeping it playful and light and, and again, so not upsetting. <laughs> so be sure that you are um, choosing carefully your materials. You know, you're not going to want to use something that you're telling a kid if you're going to teach my for. You may not be able to use his very favorite thing because he is going to get pretty darn mad when you try to take it from him and say mine. You know, pretend like it's yours. So don't don't do that either. Use something that a kid likes. And, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but not something that it's his very, very favorite thing because he, he may get too mad to learn. The third tip, overall, the overall recommendation for teaching pronouns, is be sure that you are talking to parents about this. And therapists, I hope you're not doing this, but if you are, again, no shame here. We're not about that. <laughs> you just want to catch yourself and not do it as much. And I'm talking about using your own name to refer to yourself and really omitting pronouns from your language model when you're working with a child. It's very easy to get caught up in saying, um, mommy, mommy wants the car. Mommy's turn. Mommy is thirsty. Oh, give it to mommy. And what happens when, when a kid hears the name? Well, certainly that is a good early language target because lots of our little friends with receptive language difficulties really don't understand a word like mommy. So we want to teach that first, but then I think sometimes we stay stuck in that using names too long and don't really make that jump to a more mature language model with pronouns. And so I've heard therapists do it too, and I'll just tell you sometimes, and I used to do it a lot more than I do now. When I watch really, really old videos, of therapy sessions, I, I can really go back and kind of pick out, gosh, I should have moved to a pronoun model more of the time with that kid. I, I called myself Laura way past the time when I should have. So, again, don't beat yourself up if you've done it. It doesn't matter. If you catch yourself doing it now, though, correct yourself on that very next thing that you say. So if you say, if your name is Sherry, oh, Sherry's going to read the book now, or Sherry's turn with the blue paint, whatever. Say, yes, it's my turn. I have the paint. I'm going to paint. So just follow it up with the model with that pronoun so the child can really, really hear that because he has to hear it before we expect him to say it. And let me just say, too, in normal, everyday adult conversation, children will hear that adult model a lot but sometimes they're not hearing it long enough and it's not emphasized for a long enough period of time for them to really assimilate it into their own vocabulary and to understand it perceptively. So make sure that you tell yourself, I've got to give this kid enough time to hear it and enough time to learn it before I really, really expect him to say it. And so sometimes as a therapist, you may be thinking of families that, excuse me, that you know you need to have this talk with, that you know you need to say, hey, let's bump this up a little bit. I know that for a long time I really encouraged you to call yourself mom or mama or mommy when you were talking about yourself and the same thing for dad. But now I want you to bump it up a little bit. He's further along. He's understanding more. And I want to head off this pronoun problem before we even have it. 
So I really want you thinking about calling yourself by a pronoun. And again, you may have to explain to mom what that what those are. And remember today with early pronouns, which ones are we talking about? We're talking about I, me, my, mine, and you. And it is included too, but we'll we'll talk about why it's kind of an outlier here. <laughs> we really probably don't have to work on teaching that as much because it just comes up like I just said it in that sentence. We don't have to work on teaching it as much because it just comes up. It does. It really comes up, too, in our holistic phrases. You know, I want it. I got it. There it is. Pretty go. You know, those little phrases, it, it, you're modeling that then. And on the other hand, you really probably aren't teaching a child to say a word like it or even something uh, like that, you know, where they're using a non-specific word to refer to a very specific object. So that's not as important as the ones that I mentioned, that little list. I, me, my, mine, and you, or your, okay? So those are the ones that we're talking about today. So you may have to have some discussions with parents in this next week or two and say, hey, listen, I haven't been, I, we haven't talked about this yet. I really want you to make a conscious effort to switch how you refer to yourself. And don't worry if you screw it up and you're still saying mommy a lot of the time. That's okay. When you hear yourself do it, just follow up with repeating the same thing that you said but substituting I or you or me or whatever the pronoun is. And mom will get that. And again, you're telling them you're, that we're laying the foundation for that next phase of language development, especially, guys, if kids are ready to move to phrases. Because kids can kind of get away with calling themselves by name and it not sound funny until they start to use a phrase. And that's when it sounds really, really immature or delayed for a kid still at four or five or even three to be referring to himself by name and not using pronouns. Um, so be sure that you're having conversations with parents about that too. Um, all right, the fifth recommendation that we have for teaching pronouns kind of in everyday life is when a kid gets older, and we're talking about older than this toddler phase, I really am not sure that it would be appropriate for many children who are under three. But some, every once in a while you'll have a kid that you, that you feel like this is something you can really, really do. But especially if they are four or five, start talking to them about language and explaining language and language use, just like you would explain anything else, just like you would say something like, oh, when I flip the switch up, the light comes on. You're providing that explanation. So here you're going to explain pronouns, and you'll say something like, when mommy says give it to me, me means mommy. When Jack says give it to me, me means Jack. Can you see how a child might need that explanation, especially a kid, say, with high-functioning autism who is talking and understanding and asking questions and responding to questions and really coming along so beautifully, but somehow they're just the missing pieces? For those kids especially, we have to really talk to them about language. Now, again, if you try to do this with a two-year-old who's on the spectrum or a two-year-old with a significant receptive language delay, you might as well just have the radio on static. You know, it's all background. That's too complex. And a kid is not going to be able to understand that. And boy, have you ever really tried to explain something like pronoun usage to a two-year-old who had no clue what you were talking about? <laughs> yeah. For those kids, you don't talk about it. 
you you save that strategy. But you can go ahead and talk to their moms about it and say, listen, I don't want you to over-explain this, and right now this is not going to be meaningful. But as he gets older, we're going to have to start really talking about words and how they are put together and why we use the words we do and the word order that we use. So you know that you're going to – and here's another thing, guys. Sometimes moms need these explanations because they don't really understand what the problem is. And they may not even really, on a conscious level, grasp that, oh, my gosh, the pronoun really does change depending on who's talking. They may not have have really thought about it for more than two seconds other than, man, my kid screws this up. Why can't he get this? Or she really is still using her name, and that is driving me berserk. They don't really understand what the problem is. So that's why using those reasons, that I discussed in show number 268, you need to have a have a handle on what those are so you can spout those off to a parent and say, well, this is why she's having trouble and this is why this is difficult for her. It's, it's not that she's just, again, it is because of the delay, but you don't want to say, you know, she's having real trouble learning this. I don't know what the problem is. Yes, you do. There's some real reasons why she's having difficulty acquiring pronouns. So you want to be sure that you can intelligently discuss those with moms so that they get it. All right, let's move on to these specific therapy activities. Now, again, these activities are very practical, and it's something that you can do no matter whether you're in a therapy session or at home. So if you're a mom listening, don't feel like, oh, this is going to be way above what I can do. Absolutely not. This is, these things are really, really easy and really practical, and there's something you're going to, there are things you would be able to do today if your child was struggling with this. If you're a therapist, now don't just keep these secrets to yourself. <laughs> you need to be explaining and sharing and coaching and telling parents, this is how you do it, and this is why you do it, and watch me do it. Watch it. Let's see how it goes with your kid. Now it's your turn. I want you to do it, and let me see where you're struggling. And if you're not coaching in that way where you provide the demonstration and then you take it a step further, where you say to mom, now you jump in here, you do it. Because a lot of times moms, first of all, they will feel a little bit uncomfortable about that, especially if you've been seeing a kid like for six months and you haven't done any of that. So you've trained them <laughs> to not participate. So you may have to go back and do some of that or just know with your new families you're going to start over and do things differently that you're going to coach from the very, very beginning. But, guys, coaching doesn't mean that you just sit on their couch and drink their coffee and talk to them about their kid. And I had a, I had a wonderful speech pathologist this week who wrote me. She took one of my courses on DVD, and that's what she put on her feedback form. She said, I'm in private practice, and the state that I'm in has moved to a consultative model, and I, now I'm getting all these two-year-olds on my caseload where before you know, I saw older kids, um, I may be mixing up my stories here, but anyway, she said, <laughs> I'm hearing from moms and dads that all the therapist does now when she comes to my house is sit on my couch and drink my coffee. And that is distressing to me because coaching does not mean we lecture parents. Coaching does not mean that we simply walk in, spout off some ideas and walk out. That's not therapy, guys. That's I always kind of joke and say that's social work. Okay, the parent's going to do that. Now, granted, you can see some big changes with that because goodness knows parents write me every day about how they listen to this podcast 
or they read my books or watch my therapy tips of the week or read some posts and wonderful things happen for them because they're taking and applying the information. But guys, when we are seeing parents and have the privilege of working with families one-on-one, we have got to be doing that demonstration and we have got to be then saying to a mom, okay, you do it because I'm here to help you. I want to see how this works. I want to see how your kid responds. If it's not working, hey, I'm going to be able to help you figure that out, but I won't know it unless I see you do it. And just tell parents, too, listen, you're, you know, don't feel uncomfortable with me. You would not believe how I screw this up all day, every day with kids. You cannot make a mistake that I have not made. I'm here to help. I'm not here to get on to you or... <laughs> you know, try to tell you how bad you are or how terrible you are at this. You know, you really want to have that kind of conversation with the mom who's uncomfortable, who who you feel like, mm, she's she's feeling like I'm stepping on her toes here. She feels like I'm disciplining her or reprimanding her. You don't want to have that kind of relationship with parents. So you may need to have just a little heart-to-heart and say, listen, I've I feel like something's gone wrong here and we're off on the wrong foot and I don't know what happened, but I am sorry. I want to work with you and I want to make this better and I want to make, you know, this hour one of your most favorite hours of the week where you feel like, or 30 minutes, however long you're there, where you feel like you have full access to someone who understands you and your child and what you're going through and someone who knows communication and someone who can get you on the right track. So I have to see what you're doing so that I can help you tweak and help you know maybe you could say it differently. Maybe you could do some things environmentally with your child, just with positioning that would make this different. You know, you're the gestures, teaching a mom how to use the gestures on the kid so that the kid understands. This is coming from his or her perspective, not the person talking to him. So, again, these are things that you're not going to know how it looks unless you see a parent do it. So be sure that you're doing doing it in that way. All right, so let's move on and talk about these specific therapy ideas. I always teach mine first, and usually I teach it incidentally or by accident. Do you know what I mean by that? Meaning it just comes up. in the session as we're playing together and, you know, to kind of set the stage. And I do it a lot when I know that a kid has a good initial M, meaning that he might be saying mama and more. Or if a kid's moving on with signing and I think, gosh, i got to get some words besides, uh, you know, objects in here or some signs besides that, besides labeling, I really, let's teach a possessive here. And remember pronouns really teach possesses too, it's not just about adding that apostrophe S if you're thinking about how we write a possessive, but teaching my in that context. So if a kid has something, and again, something that they're not totally obsessed with, because those things, if I have a kid who loves Thomas, I'm not going to yank Thomas out of his hand and say mine, (laughs) because I don't want that kid to hate my guts. Okay, so do something that's not going to cause tears or a meltdown or anything, but just something where when you're sitting there, you're both playing, especially if you have a toy that has more than one part. Like my little ball and hammer toy has three, three or four balls. I think it's four. And the hammer. And so, and I try to have two hammers every time I play with this because naturally the kid's going to want to hold one too. But if you don't have two hammers, you really can kind of, 
you know, tease a little bit and say, oh, my, my, or especially a ball. If they can get one of the balls and hold it and it's not going to totally break their heart that you hold the ball to, you can certainly teach it with with that one. Um, now, parents, again, if you are overemphasizing to the word, overemphasizing this word, and overemphasizing your teaching to the point that the kid turns gray, <laughs> meaning that he grabs things from other children and from his parents and from everybody, and all day long is just mine, mine, mine. You don't want to do it that way. You want to make it fun. You want to make it light. You want to keep it happy. And if you feel like it's taking that ugly turn, where Again, 99.99999% of toddlers will want to go with this. Back off. Save it for another day when they're not as likely to get their feelings hurt. But that's a really, really funny way to teach it, and I've had so much luck. But, again, remember that I'm doing it with a big smile and twinkly eyes so that a kid knows I'm not really there to take his toy. It's just to be funny, and you always want to give it right back. Um, also, one thing that you may need to talk to parents about, too, especially if you have a child who is aggressive on your caseload, who is doing a lot of hitting, and especially if they're in a child care situation or even with their own slightly older or slightly younger sibling, where they are doing a lot of defending their possessions, I had much rather a kid learn to do it with a word or a sign with mine than by being physically harmful to another child. So I've had to talk some parents through that too, and you know, for kids who are biting because they want a toy or pulling hair or, you know, smacking another kid, wouldn't you rather teach a word for that? And every parent without fail says, yes, I would much rather have a word for that than their aggressiveness, physical aggressiveness, or even falling apart. Um, or on the other hand, don't you have some little friends on your caseload who don't understand that they should defend their possessions and they are totally get run over at daycare because every kid takes something from them and they kind of become the class doormat? Because, you know, especially if there's a little uh, a really assertive kid who knows, well, it doesn't matter if I have that toy or not, I can walk over and take it from him because he is not going to give me one bit of trouble. And we see these things, and again, I'm not saying that that other child is problematic or anything. It's just normal. He's just learning, you know, they're learning about possession. They're learning about property, about what they can play with and what they can't play with and what they can get away with and what they can't get away with. So when you have a child, again, who is so passive and doesn't even understand that he can keep a toy and doesn't have to give it up to... Uh, you know, immediately when someone comes over to him, you may have to do some uh, training there, and that would be an age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate social-emotional milestone for that kid to acquire. So that's a good one. Let's move on to me. Now, I used to really do a lot of <laughs> teaching me with albums, picture albums, or with pictures around the family's home. Now it's more with the phones. The mom might have a lot of pictures of her child on her phone. So you can flip through and say, who's that? Me. You know, and you're really going to model it. Moms are better to do this activity because they can point to themselves in the picture and say, that's me. And then the kid can point to himself and say, that's me. And if you've never gotten yourself tongue-tied over teaching pronouns, boy, can that happen. So you want to be sure that... 
you kind of think about this activity or what activity you're doing so that you don't really mess it up, so that you're not pointing to the kid and doing a lot of saying, me, me, me. I mean, you're going to have to do that, but that could be even more confusing. So um, probably what I would do in a therapy session is take a picture of the kid with me, several pictures in a row, so that we can point. And I can point to myself and say, there's me, there I am, there's me. Or if we're probably, I probably wouldn't even say I am if I'm focusing on teaching that one pronoun at a time. You know, it's me, there's me, I see me. And you can have the child do that and he's uh, pointing to his own picture. Um, You can also teach me with a toy saying, whose turn is it? And modeling a big me there. This really, really helps when you have siblings in a session. I've I've done it a lot with snacks, too, with whose cookie is this? You know, whose turn is it now to get this chip? Me, me, or mine, whatever you're going with. And again, don't, sometimes kids can do my or mine and not do me yet because of that vowel difference. Just pick whichever vowel is easier for the kid and go with that one first. And then you can always generalize it later or expand it later to get that other form in there. But again, if you're thinking about a kid who has some speech issues too and one vowel may be easier for him to produce than another vowel, go with which one is going to be easier there. Uh, Again, using those gestural cues, and I love that the gesture for me or mine is the sign for that as well. (laughs) So patting your chest. Uh, So be sure that you're doing that too. Okay, to teach I... Let me give you a couple different ideas for that. Uh, have some snacks or some little thing that he wants to ask for over and over and over again. You might do it with, say, a little bucket of cars or um, just anything that you can have several exemplars there. Isn't that funny? Go back to your academic um, careers and think about that word, but several of the same thing. So several balls, several cars, several cookies, several goldfish, whatever you want to use there. And have somebody else there with you. Usually this is mom or dad. And so the giver, whoever is in charge of holding whatever you have. And again, if you have a mom or dad who's not going to be really into this at first, let them be the person who holds the cars or whatever it is that they're giving out. And you model with the kids. So the parent would say, um, you know, who wants the goldfish? And then you say, I do, I do, I do. And again, you are totally into this. You are so ravenous for that goldfish. You are starving for that goldfish. You are more excited about that goldfish than any other piece of food you've ever had in your whole life. So that kid gets really, really excited. You know, and when I do it, I shoot my hand up in the air. You know, and again, I just act like I'm a two-year-old and really, really, really wanting that snack or whatever it is that we're using there. Uh, And be sure, you know, I'm raising my hand when I'm doing that. I'm pointing to my chest. So let me tell you another thing that works. I will point to my eye, my E-Y-E, my eyes, the things I see with, to Q-I. And now some speech pathologists hate that Q and they think it's just so, they just hate it for whatever reason. It works so well with toddlers, though, especially if a toddler already knows the word for I. And, again, sometimes people will say, well, I don't want to teach in that context because it's a totally different word. Hey, I get it, but if it works, it works. So you may want to cue it that way. 
by pointing to your eyeball <laughs> as you say, I want this. And again, I'll do it for a little bit, but mostly I do it with kids that are verbal, that I know that I can use that as a visual cue and I won't have to give them the verbal model anymore. So I'll be able to point to my eye and they'll know, oh, yeah, that's a word I'm supposed to say. I want or I see or I, you know, whatever happens to be. All right. So am I still with you here? I think so. I think I'm still here. Okay. Sorry about that. I had a little interruption. Um. Let me give you another little hint here. Don't just stick with doing requests with I want or even I do. Go ahead and pair the pronoun I with other standalone verbs, meaning verbs you can use without that object. And here's why. When we're working on I want cookie, I want cracker, I want car, those are three-word phrases. And that's that's what's wrong. With some, that's what's that's the problem with some of our kids when we're trying to transition to that next uh, step is that's too hard. That's too many syllables, too many words. So if you're doing phrases and you're teaching, let's say your kid's not even really at the phrase level yet, you, you probably would be, though, if you were working on I already. It's a good kind of way, though, to also target verbs. So there are some really cool things you can do as you're modeling this I thing. You know, I like to do I jump. I hop, I run, I walk, I fall, I sleep. Oh, a fun one is I cry. Fake crying is so much fun to toddlers. You know, I cry. Oh, I'm crying. I cry. They think that's hysterical. So work that into you could do some cute things where you're just kind of playing in a little imitation game like that. And remember, use mom with this too so that you are getting her involved and you're saying, hey, listen, we're teaching we're teaching this pronoun I, and I know that's been hard for her, and so I'm really going to need you to get silly with me today, and let's do some games where we're pairing I with an action. And we're going to show her how we say this and how we do this, and I really need you to be into this. So you may warn my session or two ahead and say, hey, I want you to gear up for this now. I'm going to need your, I'm going to need your best performance here so that you're teaching her how to do it. Older siblings will like this too, especially, you know, if you have a seven or eight-year-old who's really into therapy and, you know, they greet you at the door telling you what their brother or sister's done this week. They are so into this, and they'll play these little games with their uh, siblings long after you're gone. So you may even um, write a little list of these, these verbs that they can pair with I and play those kinds of copy games. Now, if you can, get pictures of the child doing some of this while you're having this much fun or mom, you know, acting crazy doing these things. That's even funny for a kid to go back and look at later. But remember, if you're teaching I with this, it has to be the kid doing it. Now, when you have the pictures of mom doing it, she can say, I fall or I, I jump. You know, or I, whatever I did, I I ran or I, I run. You know, we're not even going to get to INGs today. You could certainly use that, uh, what is that called, progressive? I've forgotten the term for that, for that verb ending, that ING. Um, you could certainly do some things with this there, but remember today we're talking about pronouns. You would never want to teach two new language forms at once. So don't work on, a lot of times we do try to meld more goals than one into an activity, and that's great, and I love it when that happens, but that would be too hard to teach a verb ending and a pronoun at the same time. One of them needs to be pretty mastered before you would start on it. So I would just stick to 
just a present tense verb, you know, run, walk, what eat, drink, laugh, tickle, whatever you can do there, whatever the kid is likely already saying, try to use verbs that they're already doing. So I, I go, I open, I push, those kinds of things might be um, really, really even better. So look at what the kid's already doing. Pair that with I and model, 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 model. All right, let me tell you how I teach you. I use this just in a really silly kind of playful way so that if we are cleaning up or doing something else, but let's pretend like we're playing with potato head and the potato head arm is stuck. And so like I cannot get that pulled out for the life of me. And so I will tell the kid, you know, oh, it's stuck, it's stuck, you do it, you, 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 and really point to the child to do it while I'm saying you, you, you. Um, do it with cleaning up too or something, say, has rolled under the couch and you can't get it, say, you know, really fake, really put on a show there with, oh, I can't reach it, I can't reach it, you get it, you, you, you. Kids think that's so funny. There's a little clip of that in uh, Teach Me to Talk, the DVD. Cute little girl, and I used to play the you game all the time, and she learned it just lickety-split because she thought that was so funny. So uh, that's a cute little game to use, um, too. Now, when you get further along and you are teaching my versus your, again, I don't always do that with toys that they really love because that makes them so mad. I do it with body parts and clothing items because I have that same <laughs> set of uh, materials, you know, with my own body parts and my own clothes I'm wearing and so does the kid. So it's easier to teach my and your that way. And listen, I also try to do it maybe as we're having snack. You know, aren't you always wanting something to do while the kid is chewing? Have you thought that before <laughs> while he's sitting there taking a minute to chew an Oreo? And you're thinking, oh, I don't want to just twiddle my thumbs during, thumbs during this. What can I do? So I will use some things like that here. I'll say, oh, here's my hair. Where's your hair? And point with you so that you're showing the child in this context, how I'm saying it, you means on yourself. And so you can do it that way. And, again, I've found that body parts and clothing items are a lot less sensitive when we're trying to get a kid to do something uh, rather than taking a toy that he or she would really, really, really want and like. A task that I've had some good luck with with um, parents and working on my and your is using their shoes. And so if we're at a home visit or even in my office, you know, I've had parents have their shoes off and the kids' shoes, and so we're doing, you know, where are your shoes, where are my shoes. Um, so that's a fun thing to do because I can certainly see who those belong to because there's a size difference. If you're in a family's home and they're, you know, like my house and have, when all my kids lived at home, um, all the shoes lined up by the door, that's a good time to play it too. You can say, um, you know, let, let's find all the shoes that are yours. And so the kid can pile them up. And then mommy can say, let's find all the shoes that are mine. And you'll have a pair of shoes there, too, when you take your shoes off in the family's home. So it's a good way to do it. Again, you're not going to start out using that activity. You're going to teach my and your and I first before you mix it up in a my and your game all at the same time. But it certainly is something that you can think about working in uh, after you've done some initial teaching. Okay, those are my very best ideas for pronouns, but I bet some of you have some fantastic ideas for pronouns too. 
So if you'd like to send those to me, put them on this show's post. I haven't gotten that, that post up yet, but I will. Today is um, September 1st, can you believe it, 2015. And so I will get this posted a little bit later on in the day. But go ahead and uh, if you have some great pronoun ideas, some things that have just worked out fabulously for you, I love new ideas. So post those on there. Or if that's too hard for you, shoot me an email at laura at teachmetotalk.com. Or if you are really brave and you want to be a guest on the podcast to share your own wonderful idea, I would absolutely love to have you. So email me, laura at teachmetotalk.com, and we can set that up. And, hey, listen, I'm always looking for guests. So if you want to be a guest on there, you just let me know, send me a question or send me a comment, and we will get get you booked right there. All right, so this is the end of today's show. I've had a fabulous time talking about pronouns, and I hope that you have too. I hope you'll join me next week and have a fantastic week. Thank you.